All right, and welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We are actually recording episode seven right now. I'm here with uh, father and son duo and co-host Andrew and my father right here, Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing? Happy Thanksgiving to all. I'm doing great. Yep, and today we've got a pretty good show for you guys. We're actually for once here together able um, to record the podcast episode in our little studio, but this time at the Ponderosa house over at my father's as we're celebrating Thanksgiving. And as you guys know as well, the previous um, episode that we had, um, we told you guys that the next episode would be um, us grading the jerseys with uh, a friend of mine, Stephen, who has his live podcast, which will be coming out probably shortly after this episode or right before. So whenever he's able to send me that file. So for now, this is at least episode seven for us. And we've got a couple of good topics for you today. So um, a couple of things. We're going to be talking about the unfortunate um, uh, retirement of Johnny Boychuk, former Bruin. Um, big news coming from the Boston Bruins for once. We've re-signed DeBrusque for two years at $3.6 million uh, average a season. And then NHL, uh, the proposition for next season, although nothing's confirmed yet, there's still a couple of things as far as a division realignment and then how many games they'd like to play. And a couple other things I'll, I'll mention that I found out. And then um, – the other two, we're going to be talking about the top five or our personal top five uh, Bruin tough guys of all time. Um, and I had actually recently wrote an article about that. So we'll also talk about that as well. And then, Dad, you had dropped the ball a couple episodes ago. You had excited our fan base that you were going to tell this Phil Esposito story after in Tampa, Florida, you had won uh, or Brandon, Florida, I should say, you had won your um, your keg cup for the beer league and. Um, as you had mentioned in the episodes before, Phil Esposito had showed up and you knew somebody, but we'll get to those details later. So, Dad, first thing first, I'd like to talk about uh, Johnny Boychuk recently retired. So before I go into just some things about uh, Boychuk, what was your opinions on that, especially as we watched the, uh, the obvious 2011 team that won the Stanley Cup? I mean, I'm a big Boychuk fan. Uh, and boy, what a hip check he can give on on people. Um, I was sad when he left Boston, but I understand it. You know, it's a business decision for him. And, uh, and you know, I rooted for him in the Islanders. It's unfortunate, the eye incident, that apparently you're going to talk about that actually put him in retirement. Um, I think he's a fantastic uh, player, defenseman. Um, he'll always be in, in you know, my... Uh, my heart for the 2011 team and his contributions there. And based on the fan and, and the PR that Boston, the love, I should say, Boston's given him, he should be feeling good about his time here in, in Boston. I'm sure the Islanders are going to, uh, are showering him with, um, you know, appreciation as well. Yeah. And uh, just a couple of things about <clears throat> uh, uh, Johnny Boychuk and I actually recently wrote the article for Black and Gold um, for his retirement announcement, but he did not have an easy road, Dad, to the NHL. A lot of people think he just played for Providence and came up through the Bruins system eventually, but he spent five years in the AHL in five different teams. Providence was his fifth team, um, and he actually did uh, the year before he was traded to Boston. Um, he had only played four games with the Colorado Avalanche, didn't really do anything, obviously even earned himself a game during this uh, Providence season that he had where he actually won the Eddie Shore trophy for the best defenseman. And he was coached under um, coach Cassidy who was of course, everybody knows is the Bruins coach right now, but also dad, you'd like this too. He was coached under Rob Murray that year as well, who is the Tulsa Oilers ECHL coach. 
And fans forget, we live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that is the only hockey available. And Rob Murray's the coach for there. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And their season's going to start up here in a few weeks. Uh, they only have their, I believe, uh, one month schedule. Uh, we could talk about the ECHO later. They're just, you know, uh, they have one month planned and they're waiting to see what other teams are going to opt in, opt out, and then finish the schedule for whatever their season's going to look like. But yeah, big, uh, we're Oiler fans and definitely Coach Rob Murray fans. Yeah, and that year that he won the Eddie Shore Trophy for best defenseman in the AHL, he had scored 20 goals and 66 points. Um, and like you know, we had just mentioned, he was also the 2011 Stanley Cup winner with the Boston Bruins. And unfortunately, he was part of cap casualty in 2014. We were actually wanting to keep Johnny Boychuk, but unfortunately, um, with money tied up with, uh, oh, who was it? Um, Savard. Mark Savard, before we were able to dump that money into the LTIR, which wouldn't cap, count against the cap. Unfortunately, during that time, we had to trade him. But now, for fans that don't know or don't remember that specific trade, there, uh, we got Carlo because of this trade. So we traded him for 2015, 2016 second rounders. We got Carlo in 2015. In 2016, we got Ryan Lindgren, who is now a full-time defenseman for the New York Rangers. So pretty much you got Carlo for Boychuk eventually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I was a big fan of Boychuk as well. I loved his physical play. I loved his, his Johnny rocket as Jack Edwards used to call it. I always got goosebumps anytime he had that slap shot from the point and uh, would score and Jack Edwards freak out. And, you know, it was just great player. You don't, you don't have too many players like that in the league anymore. That's just a blue collar. I mean, grinds every shift, and he's a defenseman too. So, I mean, he had a lot of responsibilities in that back end. And so it was confirmed that his high his eye injury was the reason why he retired? Yeah, so the, the information on that is, as most people know, back I think it was March 13th or 12th or something, uh, he had played against the Canadians and, and took Lekanen's, uh, a skate to his eye, and it required 90 stitches. Um, but he felt optimistic. Um, he, he even thought he was going to retire then possibly because, I mean, 90 stitches to the eyelid, that's, that's pretty bad. Um, but he came back and played. Uh, I think they only played three games until uh, his first game back during the summer with the return to play. He did get a, another injury to that same area due to an illegal hit by Mike Matthiason from the Panthers. So after that, and all, uh, you know, the Islanders said after all the extensive medical evaluations, decided it was the best to do so. And he said that there's been severe damage to his eye. And unfortunately um, his vision has gone down as well as he says, he can't see at a peripheral vision in that eye. That's, so that's too bad. So I, unfortunately he had to retire that way. He's 36. But with that being said, he's a Stanley cup winner. Yeah. He, he had the ability to play in the NHL for 13 seasons collectively or 13 years, I should say and made plenty of money. So, you know, other than the unfortunate move to have to retire because of this injury, it's better than him to keep playing and get hurt and it be worse for him. You know, I think that he made out plenty of money, a legacy. Good for Boychuk. I'm happy for him. Yeah, yeah. So we wish him uh, all the best of luck. So, Dad, the other thing I wanted to talk about today as far as Bruins news, um, actually two things real quick. So let's first quickly talk about DeBrus. We've talked about him in other episodes before he was re-signed. Well, he was re-signed for two years at approximately $3.6 million average annual value but let me break this down real quick so right now bruins now after this have more than three million in cap space so take that for 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 what you want 
but the breakdown for his contract is this upcoming season, he's only going to be paid 2.5 million towards the cap hit year two. It'll be 4.85 million. And I don't know how Sweeney did it once again with his magic. We re-signing these guys. We locked him up as a restricted free agent. So we'll be able to have that restricted free agent rights to him. Um, as well as he will have arbitration rights. As you know, that's something Grizzly was supposed to go through. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think that this is a great deal for the Bruins, to be honest with you. I, I'd imagine between the three and four million uh, a year ballpark, but for them to get him on 2.5 million for next year and not pay him, you know, that bigger bucks till the season after, I think that was a pretty good move for him, especially with the, you know. Yeah, I'm happy that the Bruins signed him. We had talked about how we wanted the Bruins to sign him. We know he was trade bait for a while. Um, Still could be. This could be a sign and trade. Look it, at Heinen. It, it could be. Um, but I think the Bruins, you know, see that there's a spark there. So I think they paid him. And now it's, you know, if he stays on the team, now he's got to show that he's worth that money. And he's got to work on the consistency aspect <laughs> of his game that that's missing sometimes. Um, but he definitely has the potential. And hopefully, you know, I mean, for that much money, I think that, you know, it, it was a good deal. Um, so, you know, we're happy that DeBrusque is back. Now he's got to have, you know, the next couple of seasons have got to be the seasons of his career. Yeah, and definitely consistency is, is really his only biggest issue. I, he also mentioned, uh, Dad, recently in an interview when he did get re-signed, uh, that he's actually put on uh, quite a bit of weight this summer and his, his strength or his focus this summer is focusing on his strength and physicality for this upcoming season. So hopefully we see more of a power forward in Jake DeBrusque, um, but he's averaging 25 goals uh, a season right now um, with his stats. And if he was just consistent, imagine what that stat would be. I mean, he's, uh, this guy's could be a breakout star. I mean, he really could be if he just. Well, the season hasn't started, but obviously, you know, the Bruins have got to fix some of the lines. The perfection line is what it is. It's great. But, you know, we, you know, we struggle. Even the second line sometimes struggles and guys are moving up and down in the, in the lines. And, you know, hopefully uh, Cassidy will figure it out and give DeBrusque some line partners, you know, full time. Yeah, and it'll be interesting. And speaking of that, Dad, this is just something I wanted to mention before moving on from uh, the DeBrusque resigning news is that um, when you look into next season, though, a lot of people thought that this was the season that the Bruins had to make a lot of interesting offseason uh, moves and resignings to try and keep that core together. But next season, Krejcic, Rask, and Halak are all unrestricted free agents, and you're also going to have Carlo as a restricted free agent. And I think there's also, a, I think, a few more players, maybe not as important or as – playing in the big spots, but next year's going to be very interesting. And if DeBrusque loses Krejci, is that a bad thing? I don't know. He doesn't necessarily have very solid chemistry with him, which I think is part of his consistency problems. But finding that right winger, too, is also – that helps formulate that line, in my opinion. Yeah, none of these offseason moves have, I think, solved any problems that the Bruins had at the end of this season. You don't think adding Craig Smith has at least helped with, especially that forward depth? I don't think it's going to solve any all the problems, but you know, hopefully it'll it'll work out. But I, hopefully uh, Sweeney has some more trades before you know camp starts or whatever the case may be, because there's certainly players we mentioned them, John Moore being one that you know we can trade and we can, but there's not going to be any big trades, so. 
I just don't know if we, what we should expect, what our uh, expect, you know, uh, our standards should be, should what we should, we should expect. I mean, this might be basically the core of the team, and you know, uh, I don't think the Bruins have solved their problems yet. Yeah, I definitely don't think they have either. I don't think that Sweeney is necessarily done. I think he is looking to make a move, a trade of some sort, but it'll be interesting to see what he does. You want to trade somebody like John Moore, but who the hell is going to take John Moore, especially at that contract? Guy's got like three fucking years left, you know? I mean, he's stuck. So it'll be interesting, and you unfortunately can't bear his money in the AHL either. But we talked about it before that, you know, for some teams, you know, uh, a player being traded is the thing that sparks them, you know, to uh, having a, a successful career. You know, I mean, I've seen it plenty of times of uh, a so-so a player gets traded and all of a sudden their new team, it just clicks and they have a breakout season. They just need a change of pace. Maybe they need a different coaching style or a different coach or a different. Maybe it's they got more ice time than what they had before, whatever the case may be. But John Moore is not playing for the Bruins right now. I mean, he, he barely played. In the playoffs, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, he, he hardly played. Now, Dad, I have a question for you, and, and you may not have much of an opinion on it um, just because we're obviously not there in the locker room, but you can definitely make some interpretations or assumptions. But, you know, with how you see the, the camaraderie with this group and you see that the chemistry the Bruins built, this isn't just a hockey team. They're friends. They're all like family. They're all very, very tight-knit, you know, especially with the wives and the mothers and all of each other. So it's more than just a team. So especially with somebody like Krug, who's been on the team since 2013, um, you know, you think with important players, like even a Heinen, who I don't think was maybe that big of a blow to the chemistry, but you have some of these players who have a lot of respect, have leadership roles that start to leave. You know, I especially think with Krug gone, I think if we lose Char too, I just think that the chemistry might, might start to tank. And I don't know what you think about that. Um, but I feel like maybe with the leaders in the room, like Bergeron, Marchand, and Krejcic, and Rask all still there, I think that they'll be able to help say, hey, it's part of the business. Bring sure, it back sure. Up. I mean, That's got to affect them either way, even if it's a hockey business. Oh, and David Backus, too. Even though he was not a good player for the Bruins, especially at the end, a lot of players on that team were very upset he was traded. It Just, is. I mean, it, it is the whole culture of the team, but I think it starts from the top down. And, you know, you mentioned like a Backus, and we, you know, we've been talking about John Moore. They've been in the doghouse with Cassidy and the players know that. And, you know, um, I think we talked about it with Bacchus before he was traded, that it was really, I felt it was an insult that Cassidy wasn't playing him. And, you know, he was a healthy scratch. And basically I think they had a discussion with the coach. And so I think the coach has a lot to do with everything and I'm not knocking Cassidy, um, you know, but um it, it's it's an overall thing, but they're professionals. They're pretty tight with every team. They know some guys, but I mean, they, they know everybody around the league. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Well, let's go ahead and let's move on for now. And before we kind of go off on a tangent about other things. So we right. got a couple more topics. So dad, this is a couple, this is something I wanted to discuss with you and get your opinion on too. So this is um, kind of the update. Um, with the NHL season for next year. Obviously, nothing's concrete. It's not like I have any insider news. But um, the biggest thing that I'm, I'm curious about, that and how this is going to work out is uh, the division realignment. And as you know, the Toronto Raptors have been uh, – was not granted permission to play in Toronto. Uh, the Maple Leafs, the, the arena that they share, they're having to move down to Florida. 
which now means Canada is closing off their borders because, you know, if, if an American team travels to Canada, obviously, to play a game, they're going to have to undergo quarantine. That's yeah. a rule from the Canadian government. Yeah. So they're going to have an all-Canadian division, East, West, and Central division. The East division is where the Bruins will be, and here are the teams that will be. Um, the only teams that the Bruins are going to play for next season, as far as we know, Buffalo, Carolina, New Jersey, New York Islanders and Rangers, Philadelphia Flyers and the Washington Capitals. And that's it. So it'll be very interesting. And they also said, too, that obviously uh, 82 game season is probably not going to happen now because what they want to do is they've, they've Gary Bettman has said, we would like to start uh, the schedule on time like normal and next fall. So they're planning a 48 to 60 game season and to have the playoffs. They'd like it to be done by June, but they said they'll push it to July. Well, so what do you season, think about all this season is going to be an asterisk, just like, you know, the lockout year and, uh, and, and much like last season to uh, a large extent. Um, I think the most important thing is they want their players to play. I mean, you know, you can only train and, and practice so much and, you know, you've got to, start playing games so i think you know they're they're just gonna say it is what it is but it'll be an asterisk year for whoever the stanley cup winner is and whomever that is even if it's boston i i feel kind of bad because it's really not like you said but if this is how this is going to be blah 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 but they need to make a decision soon and i think a lot of it is has been political where you have uh uh trump and Canada's Trudeau hate each other. And Trudeau is, you know, the, you know, ultra progressive liberal and Trump being Trump. And it's, a, I think, a large reason of why Canada doesn't think the U.S. has done a, a very good job mitigating the virus. So therefore, they're having stricter rules. And, you know, Trump kind of tucked it to him with the trade deal a year or two ago. Uh, it'll be interesting now that we're going to have uh, Biden as president to see. And we have these vaccines that I guess are ready to go. I'm sure that, you know, uh, professional sports, things like that will probably be one of the first on the list to get this vaccine. So um, while they can't change the schedule on the fly, um, I think it's hopeful for everybody that we'll just have to deal with whatever decisions are going to be made in the next month or so. And uh, then we'll be back to regular season next fall. And it'll be interesting too, to see uh, if, if they decide to go with the bubble. Um, I know that they were mentioning uh, that they were going to play um, games and not travel, like kind of like a bubble with the, yeah. the divisions. And then um, they go back home for a week straight and something like that. So while it's not going to be as uh, perfect as the, the playoff bubble was, they're still going to try something and they're trying to talk with the NBA for some reason. They're trying to align exactly how they're going to do it with the NBA. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how the season comes up. I'd love for some sort of fans to be back. I know with the ECHL, like we talked about a couple of episodes ago, the Tulsa Oilers um, sent out uh, to you, dad, because you're a season ticket holder, the, the seating chart and how they're uh, having so many seats and, you know, in front of you in the back of you and, how many people you can have sit with it in one place. I think that the NHL could probably do that too, but you know, the, the important thing is, is not sports right now. Obviously it's, it's to be mindful of, of everybody and this pandemic to squash it, to stop it, or we're going to be in this circle for fucking ever. Yeah. Well, you know, this vaccine, you know, should help a lot 
and you know um we'd have to get you know your stepmom on here which you know she has no interest in getting on our podcast unfortunately um but you know right now you know you can if you had the virus you can catch it uh like three months later but there is a little bit of you know sort of i don't want to say immunity but you do get some antibodies i guess that uh that you know develop a little bit of a resistant um you know as science goes on testing now we have rapid tests where we didn't before so i think you know they may start out in a bubble situation but you know it'll it'll move on and as far as the stands go so yeah you know our our tickets to the tulsa games is no one's going to sit three seats to the left or right of you in back of you or in front of you but what happens if i go to the restroom <laughs> right. what happens to wait in the popcorn stand? right you're waiting to do anything like that right you know so you know it, but <laughs> we'll just have to see you know it's just, i just think we're all just going to have to grin and bear this season and maybe we'll get back to hockey next season I, it doesn't sound optimistic but i think that's just what we're looking at you know that they we they want the players to play they can't have a season where they're just sitting around not playing games and the owners for some reason and i I say for some reason it's the owners don't even want them to play at all unless there are fans in the stands which it's like so do you want your players to play or not you know you can't just wait just to have fans in the stands or you're gonna go bankrupt either way right i mean you're just gonna shut down as a franchise you know, teams like Arizona and stuff, dude, they can't afford this. Yeah. Well, they really can't. It's going to be, especially these ECHL and AHL teams, that's who I feel bad for the most. And speaking of the AHL, the American Hockey League, while I'm at it, there's been recent news of players like on the Providence Bruins, for example, Dan Bladar and a couple other guys getting sent overseas, which is not a good sign at all because the AHL is supposed to start like December 8th or something. Yeah. And now it's suddenly looking like with everybody getting shipped overseas and you have the two week quarantine process coming back. I think they're about to make an announcement on the AHL. You know, you might be onto something when we have too many good players from the AHL that we're loaning out to, you know, the rest of the world. Yeah. That's not a good sign, but you don't know if it's the player's agent saying, Hey, look, they can go play elsewhere, you know, let them out you know, whatever, we'll make whatever financial deal we have to, to let him play. But you could be right. It could be a bad sign that, you know, they're catching on early that this isn't going to happen. So they're trying to jump on teams elsewhere because I'm sure if you're a sports agent, while you want to be careful um, with your prospect um, that they don't get hurt, but you need them to play. And like we had talked over uh, dinner today, um, you know, it's if the AHL isn't going to play and say the ECHL is going to play, you probably want to have your prospect be playing in a safer environment in Europe with their style of play compared to the ECHL, which can be really rough. I mean, we can yeah. we can speak to going to a lot of ECHL games. It is not uh you know, an easy league to play in. And it's a, still a jungle down there. It really is. So, you know, you don't need your prospect being injured at the, you know, double A farm team level. Right. You know, go let them play over in Sweden or Finland or Czechoslovakia and let them be a little safer. And I think that you might be onto something with that too, if the AHL season cancels and ECHL continues to go on, which will be interesting, Dad, too, because if, for the listeners that don't know, 
the entire what was it North Division yeah. or, or whatever it is the ECHL opted out along with two other teams in the very beginning would opted out earlier like the Atlanta Gladiators who was the first team and that now kind of ruined their chances of re-signing a, a ECHL deal with the Bruins because that was their their one year deal with them was up but now they're opting out. Well, and you know just. For us who, again, follow the ECHL here in Tulsa, um, and our affiliate is Anaheim, by the way, um, if the AHL doesn't happen, just hypothetical, then that means really the ECHL is the next tier that if the NHL does play, they're going down to the ECHL. Yeah. You know, if you get sent down, you're going right to the ECHL. So I don't know if, if we're going to have a lot of AHL players getting time in the ECHL and what happens to those regular guys. They're just going to be kicked out. That's, know, a good, that's actually a really good point. So but, they get um, sent on waivers. Where the hell do they go? Yeah. You know, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, we'll see what happens. Hopefully we just have hockey bottom line. Luckily, we're not the ones making the decision on the business deals. That'd be a lot of stress anyway. They're going to be losing a lot of money, the owners. So they're just but they know it. Yep. So now we've got two more topics. Okay. okay. So one, I'm going to go ahead and do mine real quick. Cause I think yours is a lot cooler. So I got smoked on social media. Oh, about the article. Two weeks ago. I got smoked. All right. I got roasted and toasted and you know what? I don't give a fuck. So I did an article called my top five brewing tough guys of all time. And I know as soon as I say that you got all these old school guys running through your head and everything. And I respect that. It's cool. But to be fair, for how tough the big bad Bruins were for many, many years, you could have thrown any of these guys, any honorable mentions in this list. And you know, it. and my dad's rolling his eyes at me right now. He's disappointed. So this is <laughs> in no particular order. This was my list of players and dad can go off and, and roast me right after this. I had listed, remember no particular order, Milan Lucic, Terry O'Reilly, um, PJ stock, uh, Sean Thornton and Jay Miller. And I had honorable mentions like Stan Jonathan, Adam McQuaid, uh, Wayne Cashman. You know, I paid homage. I paid homage to the, you know the old guys, but right. I feel like Lucic and Thornton, those 2011 Cup winner guys, were great. But people roasted me about PJ Stock. But that's okay, you know. So all right, so the a, a couple podcasts ago, you'd went through and said the toughest all time Bruins, but you based it on the criteria of penalty minutes. It was the amount of fights. Or the amount of fights. Based from, on hockey right, fights. Hockeyfights.com. So in that case, you're just using a, a site based on how many fights they were into. Right. So no one can really dispute that unless the stats are wrong. Right. So where I think you went on this one was more of your opinion now of who yours. And, of course, no one's going to always agree with you. Now, of course, everybody agreed on some of them. But no, one, it, it's like saying – you know, if you're a guitarist, like who's your top five all-time guitar players? Or like us, Andrew and I are drummers. Who's the top five drummers? Right. We could say, who, you know, and but someone will always be like, oh, no way. It's a, are you kidding me? So it was, you know, it's a fun piece. It, I thought it was, um, you got a lot of traffic on it. So, you know, you got to take that. You got roasted a little bit, but don't, but some of the people mentioning different tough guys, it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. But, uh, you know, that was more of an opinion. Now, you say I'm going to roast you. Yeah, I mean, you got roasted on the PJ stock, but that's kind of, you know, the, the player you zoomed in on um, when you started watching hockey and hockey fights. 
He was your guy. Um, you missed Stan Jonathan. You gave him the honorable mention, but yeah, you got to have Stan Jonathan in there. Yeah, I mean, his beatdown of just, Pierre Bouchard was probably the most beautiful thing I've seen. I mean, you know, but you know, some people mention like John Winsink, and the guy was a a, a fighter for sure, but he didn't win all his fights. I was he about was to say not, he didn't win. And now, don't was, get me wrong. Don't get me wrong, Dad. He could have almost landed on the list just because of his infamous challenging the Minnesota North Stars. Right, but, but come on. Watch a lot of his fights, and you'll see he wasn't as skilled of a fighter as O'Reilly. Or, right. Or uh, Jonathan. Um, a lot of people wanted uh, Lyndon Byers, and you're now just kind of finding out about Lyndon Byers. We've been talking about him off air quite a bit. And, uh, you know, he was a good fighter, but he wasn't a great fighter. No, he got beat up a lot. Now I'll say this: he could take he could take a punch. a punch, right, right. But in a lot of those fights, you know, much like Winsink, when I looked them all up, I'm like, yeah, they're tough. I mean, don't get me wrong; they're really tough, but it doesn't mean they're winning all their fights. When you watch Terry O'Reilly, he won most of his fights, and if he didn't, he did a lot of damage. While even right. guys like Byers, who I think is even tougher than Winsink or a better fighter than Winsink, and uh, the other one that we mentioned, but Byers still. He was a smaller guy. He still got beat up a lot. I mean, yeah, and some people mentioned, you know, Bam Cam. You know, they wanted Cam Neely on the list. But, you know, and Cam could fight, and he'd win most of the fights he was in. But he, you know, I mean, I, I think you're talking about tough guys who would be more of less like a, an enforcer an enforce role. role. Um, and Cam wasn't solely an enforcer. He really wasn't. He was an all-star player. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have a top five list. Because, uh, you know, I he told me, Andrew told me just for the podcast, hey, give me your list. And it's like, I'd have to think about it. But, you know, Stan Jonathan would be on there. I think you missed a mark on that one, I think. Jay Miller, yeah. Um, but I don't know. You know, he was a tough guy in the 80s. But uh, I think Jonathan was tougher than, than him. You, you think Jonathan was even tougher than Miller? Oh, yeah, I do. I do. I mean, and Miller didn't win all of his fights. Stan Jonathan practiced. I, I can't really find maybe one or two fights on YouTube with Stan Jonathan that he actually lost. And, you know, O'Reilly, we've mentioned him. He's probably the top of my list. Yeah. 150 but, fights. Is a but, you know, you don't, you don't remember the old guy, like a Wayne Cashman. Somebody mentioned Pi McKenzie, who's not, he was a small agitator guy. I mean, he could, you know, they all fought back then, but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree that he's one of the toughest guys ever. And you know? no offense to Michelle. You can't throw Char in that list. Char fights once or twice a year. Right. And he's and, big. I mean, he's kind and, of a protect and I guy. Get, and I guess when you say toughest, you're going to need to qualify that with, like, enforcer. Right. Because it could be, like, you know, a guy like Boychuk takes a stick, I mean, a skate to the eye, you know, or uh, uh, Campbell the year he broke his leg and right. still skated around for a minute. Penalty kill. I mean, that's, that's, that's being tough. So, but uh, I think it was a piece that was great. Uh, that you did just to uh, get people uh, thinking about it because we've been without hockey for a while and we may be without hockey for a while. So I say, you know, keep that stuff going and half the people they get on at least the social media on Facebook. I don't even think they read the freaking article. They just like, Oh no. You know what I mean? It was funny. Some guy had commented. He was like, how can you have Lucci Joe O'Reilly? I'm like, first of all, O'Reilly will always be number one in my mind. But second of all, said in the beginning paragraph, no particular order. Of course, the guy's like, oh, come on. Like I said, it's like, who are the top five best 
rock bands of all time. You know, right. no one's going to agree on on everything. So and you can't include all the top tough guys. So don't either. don't don't fret too much for taking the heat. But part of being a, a good journalist slash sports writer is being able to handle the heat. So uh, it was funny. Don't, don't be afraid of uh, you know writing something, especially during a downtime like this. You know, to, to get it to get the spark going in people, even if it's a little on the negative side. Well, and I knew when I was <laughs> typing that up too. I was like, "This is going to be great because we'll get a lot of traction. A lot of people read my thing." But I'm definitely—I already knew. I was like, "I'm going to catch a lot of flack because all these old ass drunk Bruins asshole fans come out." And I say that because we are too. Okay, so. Yeah, but he it's says like, that with love and affection. Yes, oh yeah, because we are one ourselves. And uh, it just made me laugh because I'm like, yeah, this is Boston fans. I love it. Well, it brought up a point where some of the comments uh, from the Bruins fans, especially the older guys, they're just like, hey, I can tell, you know, you're a younger guy and, you know, um, you know, you hit a lot from your generation and uh, or, you know, whatever, what they think the new generation is from right. the 90s on, basically. Um you know, but don't, you know, don't forget there was other, you know, players and so forth. You know, I'm surprised someone didn't say like a Derek Sanderson. No one mentioned Sanderson. Well, oh, no, somebody did. He's a pretty tough guy. But uh, somebody had mentioned, uh, man, I just lost train of thought. It was so funny what this person said. Well, I thought Wayne Cashman, he might not make the list, but like I said, you know, don't forget about him. He was a, he was a tough guy. Some guy, I, I, I swear to you, Dad. Apparently, I looked at my list. I don't think he did because I don't think he'd say this about O'Reilly or even Miller. But he had said Wayne Cashman should have been on the list and should have been number one. And that Wayne Cashman could have tied his hand behind his back and beat everybody with one hand, including Lucic and Thornton. Apparently, I don't. I don't remember Cashman looking at his videos and him being that tough. He had a great left hand like O'Reilly, um, and he was a tough guy. Um, but you know, he, he, he took a beating too, especially the older he got when he was captain of the Bruins. But anyway, not to, not to, uh, harp on that topic. It's like I said, it's, 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 it's opinion. Uh, the good thing is there's many, many players that you could have in your top five list. And that's, I think the ultimate, um, uh, compliment to the Boston Bruins. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So dad, we'll move on from this. Now I want to go ahead and I love revisiting this story. You told me this story years and years and years ago i think even when it first happened when i was younger but of course i didn't really care as much because i wasn't into hockey like that yet. Right. but let's go ahead dad tell your story about phil esposito yeah so um in the 2000s in my beer hockey league that we talk about down in uh, in florida which by the way consisted of you know all northeast transplants i mean they were all boston uh, New York, New Jersey, and then Minnesota and Michigan guys. So they weren't really Florida. When you say beer league in Florida, right? Yeah, it, it's all of us that moved from north down to south, and we all want to play each other. So there's a very healthy uh, leagues down there, especially in the Tampa. It's area. a 35 anyway, and over league, right? Right. My league at that time was 35 and older. And uh, well, anyway, we had we had won, and you know, being 35 and older, and I'd say the average age was in the, you know, somewhere in the early mid forties. Um, but with that, we have some guys on the team that have a variety of occupations and we had everybody from the lightning organizations, uh, visiting locker room manager where I got to party with the Stanley cup when they won it in 2004. Cause you know, my friend and teammate back then Rod was had his day with the cup, you know, the staff gets, time with the cup too 
um, and, you know, business owners, anything else. Well, our goalie uh, was a, a book publisher and also a sports writer and knew Phil Esposito. And what would happen is we would win. We won like five straight seasons. You know what I mean? We got our little Stanley keg cup. Um, and one of the uh, guys who's a, you know, really wealthy guy and great teammate and a great friend. And he used to get one of the great steakhouses in downtown Tampa and we'd have a back room and we'd have our own dinner there. You know, we, you know, he'd get the room, rent out the room. Well, anyway, the, the, uh, the book publisher guy, um, knows Phil Esposito and was actually working on the deal that Phil Esposito to write his autobiography. And it's kind of a shame because when he did finally write his autobiography, he kind of stiffed my friend and went with another publisher for more money. Jeez. But anyway, at the time, you know, he, he, he was very good friends with Phil Esposito and said, you know, it'd be great. We have a lot of Boston guys on the team. If you could show up at our, at our party, at our dinner. And this was like, we got dressed up. We took the wives with us, no kids, a lot of drinking, a lot of, and it was just us. And we actually got the Stanley keg trophy. Um, and we had a great time and we were all shit faced having a great time. And who walks through the door, but Phil Esposito and his wife. So our goalie, you know, it said, you know, it'd be great if you could stop by, but if you can't, you can't. And all of a sudden Phil Esposito walks in with his wife and we spent, an hour and a half goo goo gaga over Phil Esposito. And, you know, like I said, all of us, most of us are from Boston, if not the Northeast. And we were freaking out. I was freaking out, but we were hanging out with Phil Esposito and he would, we'd ask him all sorts of questions and they weren't always appropriate questions. If you know what I mean? A lot of guy talk and boy, he was so entertaining and he was great. He was, he was loving it. I mean, loving it because we were just worshiping the ground he walked on, but you know, we weren't just fans. We were like drunk, you know, beer league guys. Right. You know? So, you know, it just ended up, we had a great time with him and, uh, and it was great. And we had him at one point going to come since we are the 35 and older league. They didn't have an older league than that at the time. We tried to get him to play with us. You know, we told him we would protect him, but he had said, you know, I don't really skate that much anymore. And I'd be afraid that everybody would want to take a pop shot at me because I'm Phil Esposito and it might not be good. We had him convinced he was going to come and skate and play one game. Could you imagine if Phil Esposito skated in a beer league game? With and I was, I was, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I was number seven at the time or something like that because he was always my player. I was always trying to get number seven. So any team I was on, but he, 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 he chickened out. He, he just said, I, you know, I'm just afraid that I, he didn't want to embarrass himself. Is, Cause I'm like, who that, would that's take, what who take pop shots at, but he's just like, league. come on, you want to, you know, if he's staying in front of the net, you know, some of those guys in the beer league, they'd, they'd push him they'd cry. I mean, it gets a little physical, it gets a lot physical. I'd be afraid to touch Mr. Esposito. I'd be like, I'm so sorry. I brushed up on, but I think he was just like, you know, Hey, I'm, you know, he knows hockey. I'm yeah. just too old, and you know, I, I don't want to go out there and embarrass myself. So anyway, that that's proof? that's the Phil Esposito story. I mean, I don't want to keep it too long. Did I, you did he have it, an interesting story you could share? 
he was basically talking about like dick sizes of some of the players on the New York Rangers. So who had who had the biggest one? Yeah, you know, something like that, or like, you know, about this. And you know, you mentioned a player and he'd say, you know, he was like a Greek god, you know, his body, you know, he was like a body, you know, whoever he was talking about in the Rangers. And uh and I had I had told a a story and I guess I was really too drunk that I thought I was making sense. But I guess I got very long-winded like I tend to do. And But anyway, I told him a story that uh, real quick, when I was like seven, I'm in youth hockey, you know, up there in the North Shore in Beverly. I go to a Bruins game and, um, you know, I see the Bruins players come off the ice. They had that, you know, famous gold yellow sheet that would separate because they would just at the time, they would walk straight through like the concession area. You know, it's like they didn't have tunnels back then. So they'd walk right across you know, the, the lower level hallway into their locker room. And I was able to kind of peek and watch them come in. And these are gods to me. And Phil Esposito, they didn't have mouth guards back then or helmets. He was chewing gum and he spit out his gum. And it went on, you know, a little rubber mat that they were walking on. And then as soon as the players were done, they pulled the sheet out so that people could start walking by again. And this young woman ran and picked up Phil Esposito's gum and put it in her mouth. And she starts, you know, mm, mm, and she starts making all these, you know, like she's having an orgasm. And that made a big impression on my seven-year-old mind. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was number seven on my team, big fella Spazito fan at the time. And the next game, um, I was chewing gum and I thought I was Phil Esposito. So I go out there in the ice and I was like, okay, it's after the game. And I was still chewing gum. And, you know, you had the cage. Right on for the youth hockey on the helmets and I was skating off the ice of course no one's watching me but I thought everybody's watching me and I was like I'm gonna go and I'm gonna spit out my gum and some little seven-year-old girl's gonna come running up and they're gonna pick that up because I'm wearing number seven and she's gonna chew my gum now I didn't know what you know orgasm or sex was but I wanted that little you know another girl to come and do what this woman did for Phil Esposito and I spit my gum out hit part of the cage poked me in the eye as I'm coming off the ice, I slip off of the rubber mat and I end up knocking over the garbage cans that were right there. And I end up flat on my face on the concrete just off of the rubber mat. And I was afraid to move because you can't, you know, you never walk on concrete with yeah. your skates. So my dad came, picked me up and put me on there and, you know, said what happened. I kind of told him the whole story. And he just said, son, there can only be one Phil Esposito. You're not him. <laughs> so I told that story and I guess it got even longer than what I said. Right. And Phil Esposito, he looks at me and the only thing he said, some of the players are like, you know, like, holy shit, you know, like, you know, either they liked the story or they were just like, you know, whatever, like, why, you know, why would you say that? And Phil Esposito just staring at me for a minute. And he goes, do you happen to remember what she looked like? <laughs> So it's almost like he remembered. Like he was like a couple instances. Yeah, and of course he went on. And he's like, if I had known, you know, that that's what, you know, some of these young women are doing. Uh, shit, I would have been spitting out my gum all the time and checking to see who's picking up going, hey, you know, because he's, yeah. you know, he's, he went through many marriages. You know? Yeah. Uh, but just a great guy. I'll never forget it. Uh, nobody asked for his autograph. Good. And I don't think uh, cell phones were that big that everybody was taking pictures back then. So yeah. there's no pictures. Nobody asked for his autograph, which is strange because I would love to. But it was just one of those things like it would have been too 
awkward to ask for an autograph since he was so cool. I mean, he was just sitting at the table for an hour and a half. Yeah. But anyway, that's the Phil Esposito story. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't know how many people won a beer league championship game and then got to chill the Bruins and Rangers legend, I guess, you know, right after for an hour and a half and just hang out. And it was a surprise. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, nowhere, right? like I said, you know, the, the goalie made it happen. He said, I didn't know if he was going to come, but I, you know, and, but he did. He showed up. So it was great. And he showed up like a, a half an hour into it. So we were already like ordered and had a couple drinks already. And he shows up with his wife and it was great. It was perfect. Well, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad you shared that story with us. I, I, I had forgotten about that when you mentioned that a few episodes ago. I'm like, man, people are going to want to hear that story. I'm telling you, people would love that story. So another story that I'll tell in another podcast is, like I talked about earlier, the time that uh, I got to party with the Stanley Cup all night. Yeah. With another you know, hockey buddy there who had his moment and he rented out a, a, a little bar you know, tavern in town and it was invite only. And, uh, I, we, you know, you were there too. You were young. You might not I, remember. I it. remember being there actually. But, yeah. uh, I actually, you know, we'll talk about it later, but I actually got to sit at a table for as long as I want with the Stanley cup there reading all the names and, you know, met the cup guy. Cause he was there, but you know, that's another story I can talk about. So fun story. Well, I appreciate everybody who tuned in for uh, the thanks, almost Thanksgiving special. Yes. Um, just as a reminder, we appreciate anybody who did tune in uh, to that live stream uh, podcast kind of episode where we were grading those jerseys. Um, like I said, that will either be out before this episode. I may be talking in a few, uh, future tense or past tense at this point, or it'll come out after this episode. So once right. Steven sends me the audio file, we'll get right. that up. And right. It was a, it was a live podcast um, yep. on, on his network. And uh, you know, we just asked for the audio so that we would share that because he's an Oklahoma hockey guy. Yep. Uh, so we said we want to share it on our podcast. So we're just waiting for, basically the audio files from that session, but that was fun. Yeah. And the episode was simply, we, he had pulled it up. Uh, you know, I didn't watch the live stream. I saw a couple pictures from, uh, yeah, we just graded all of the reverse retro jerseys. Yep. And just talked and, about it and it was, it was good. It was, it'll be a fun episode. So you guys should check that out as well and even judge our opinions or give yours while we're all chatting on that episode. But we appreciate everybody coming. Dad, did you have any last words before I close out the show? Yeah, uh, we are working on, like I said, this is episode seven for us. Right. And now, you know, we appreciate the love and support and the recognition and sort of the credibility, if we can call it that. And we're actually going to have a, one of our first guests. Um, they committed to do a uh, person committed to doing it. And we just got to follow up and make sure we can line up schedules. Yep. And uh, we'll be a uh, uh, an ECHL hockey player to start out with. Yep. And uh, we will... We'll, uh, we're going to work on the details, right? Yep. We'll work on the details and we'll announce the name once we actually schedule the date. And uh, we're honestly really excited. Our first guest is actually going to be a pro hockey player that's played for a couple of years now between the ECHL and, and the AHL. A little bit in the AHL. So right. it'll be interesting, but we appreciate everybody that's tuned in to episode seven slash possibly eight. But it's episode seven for us. So we appreciate everybody coming by. Um, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Don't forget to also follow our personal accounts on Twitter and Instagram as well, because we always post some of our um, podcast stuff on there as well. It's at Hockey Lindroth, or you can look up the Lindroth Hockey Podcast on Twitter. Um, once again, we appreciate everybody checking us out. Don't forget to, uh, if you, whichever platform you're listening to this on, 
give us a positive review, five-star ratings, whatever you think, um, or give us a follow on uh, Spotify. So we appreciate everybody. Hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving and have a wonderful and safe weekend. Happy Thanksgiving.